Today, we're talking about the incredibly disturbing fallout from this Jax film Sniper Wolf scandal and what it really exposes, the small town mayor that was outed and the tragedy that followed, executives for Safe Mood have been indicted on fraud and what comes next. We break down how there's actually tons of important elections happening tomorrow, deciding key issues like abortion, and we're seeing growing calls for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. We're talking about all that and so much more in today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, you daily dive into the news, all made possible by beautiful bastards like you who buy Wake and Make coffee. And if you haven't snagged a bag or three of our fantastic core roasts yet, you gotta do it now. There's no better time. I'm talking happy medium, guiding light, and dark matter, all with their own amazing, unique flavor profiles, low acidity, and you can even get your first bags for 50% off. Just go to wakeandmakecoffee.com and put in your order because we just had a new batch drop. But with that said, we got a lot of news to break down today, so let's just jump into it. Starting with how this Sniper Wolf Jack's Films scandal has ended has really left a bad taste in my mouth. Right, He's been putting out a series of videos critiquing her reaction videos, calling out what many see as bad business practices, the, the taking of videos without crediting and linking to the original content creator. She then decides in real life to go to his home and show the front of his house to all of her fans. Jack and others then call out that genuinely crazy behavior. YouTube then proceeds to do nothing for several days and they come out and go, hey, we don't like what either of you two are doing, but yes, temporarily Sniper Wolf, we're going to take away her monetization just for a little bit. Right, and with that, she put out an apology statement also thanking YouTube for holding her accountable. So then kind of all eyes were on Jack. What is he going to do next? Right, what's his reaction to this? And actually with that, he released a video on his second channel called What Comes Next. And in it, he explains how he and his wife are okay, but also they're, they're scared to leave their home. They're thinking about moving since all these fucking people know where they live now. And while he notes that he is still going to try and figure out what he's actually going to do moving forward, he said in the meantime, he has an idea. And he explains instead of critiquing videos that Sniper Wolf is releasing and pointing out all the problems that he has with them, he's going to open it up to fans and react to their content, right? Only featuring work by creators who have actively consented to it, give them credit for their content as he goes through and gives advice, tips, and kind of in general seeming like a more positive spin on everything. I aim to constructively pick it apart, do deep dives, tell you what works and what I think could use some work and kind of turn this channel into a workshop for creators. At least that's what I want to try. And well, hey, I, I got to credit Jack to, to try to turn, you know, this lemon into lemonade. It is hard for me in this situation not to feel like Sniper Wolf got exactly what she wanted. Or she obviously did not like the continued and consistent critique of her business practices, her videos. And by showing up to Jack's house and doxing him and intimidating him, that is seemingly now stopped. Yes, she's going through temporary demonetization, but what is that but a fine? That's like any other massive business that breaks the rules so they can overall get a larger gain. That's just a fine. That's the cost of doing business. And once again, I can't fault Jack for doing what he's doing here. I don't know if YouTube's like, hey, if you continue doing this, this is gonna be considered harassment. We're gonna crack down on you as well. Because right? we already know that they both sides this situation, even though only one docks to the other. And so with that, it really feels like for the long term, the only person that's actually meaningfully punished is Jack here. You know, those the updates to this situation, my personal thoughts, and of course, whether you agree or you disagree with me here, I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. And then we need to talk about Bubba. And specifically, I'm talking about F.L. Bubba Copeland, a Baptist pastor and the Republican mayor of Smith Station, a small town of about 5,000 in Alabama. Right, and as far as who we're talking about here, right, the name might sound familiar. Bubba actually got elected back in 2016 and then had a moment of national fame in 2019 when tornadoes ravaged the area and Donald Trump visited and they took a photo together. With Bubba then using that notoriety to get reelected in 2020 and reportedly was planning another run. 
But then Bubba's life got completely flipped upside down by right-wing site 1819 News. Because on Wednesday, they ran an article with the headline, The Secret Life of Smith Station Mayor and Baptist Pastor F.L. Bubba Copeland as a Transgender Curvy Girl. Quote, it's a hobby I do to relieve stress. With that exposing two accounts on Instagram and Reddit and publishing photos from them in which Bubba appeared to dress in women's clothes. With the outlet claiming that Bubba used the name Brittany Blair Summerlin and referred to themselves as a transgender woman, posted porn and erotic, and encouraged trans people to go on hormones. It also claimed that Bubba confirmed they operated the accounts, explaining that it was a hobby and a fantasy for getting rid of stress. With the site adding that Bubba immediately deleted the accounts and asked it not to out them, but it did so anyway. With Bubba immediately and unsurprisingly becoming the target of internet hate. With even Bubba's church saying of the alleged cross-dressing that it was unbiblical behavior. And then, in their final sermon on Wednesday, Bubba addressed the revelation in front of parishioners. Yes, I have taken pictures of my wife in the privacy of our home when attempt of humor because I know I'm not a handsome man nor a beautiful woman either. I apologize for any embarrassment caused by my private and personal life. I have nothing to be ashamed of. A lot of things that were said were taken out of context, and I'm thankful for the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have reached out to me today in love, and I know that there are others that have not, but just know I love you. Jesus loves you as well. And while obviously no one there knew that this would be the last time they heard from their pastor, that's exactly the case. Because two days later, Lee County Sheriff's deputies reportedly pulled over Bubba while they were driving to perform a welfare check, with Bubba then stepping out of the car and taking their own life. And so now with that, we've seen both an outpouring of grief for this beloved community figure and a torrent of anger for those who drove him off the edge. And with that, Craig Monger, the guy who wrote the article outing Bubba, defending his actions on Twitter. Though this was notably before the mayor's death, and he hasn't posted since then. With him saying, pictures posted to Reddit are now considered private, according to the Kitty table of Alabama media. And then on Friday, 1819 News published an extremely short 129-word article with no byline reporting Bubba's death, and it had the gall to write, Our prayers are with the residents of Smith Station, the parishioners of First Baptist Church of Phoenix City, and Copeland's family. You also had a Phoenix City school superintendent who says he was friends with Bubba and probably sent him support before he died, writing on Facebook, What crime did he commit? Some of you people make me sick. I hope you are really proud. For our brother, F.L. Bubba Copeland, may God bless your soul and forgive those who took pleasure in your suffering. They should be ashamed. And then, a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. A growing number of celebrities have signed a letter to President Joe Biden urging for just that. But this letter first signed by a smaller group of stars back in October. We had the likes of America, Ferreira, John Stewart, and Florence Pugh among the early groups of people attached. And that letter reading, we ask that as President of the United States, you and the U.S. Congress call for an immediate de-escalation and ceasefire in Gaza and Israel before another life is lost. We believe all life is sacred no matter faith or ethnicity, and we condemn the killing of Palestinian and Israeli civilians. And saying saving lives is a more Moral imperative. To echo UNICEF, compassion and international law must prevail. You know, as this conflict has escalated, we've seen a lot more discussion about celebrities and how they should be using their voices amid all this. And so with all that, it's really not a surprise that more celebrities have added their names to this letter. With the likes of Jenna Ortega, Drake, Gigi, and Bella Hadid all signing on in recent weeks. In fact, over the weekend, you also had Selena Gomez putting her name on it. And that, of course, notably coming after Selena specifically had faced a lot of backlash over the way that she had discussed this at first. We talked about that. We had a lot of people on her socials condemning her for not speaking out. And then in response to that criticism, she announced a social media break because seeing all the violence children were facing broke her heart. Also in that claiming that a post from her wouldn't move the needle on anything. They're then facing even more backlash from that and then she ended up saying that she was going to delete her Instagram. But very notably, and we highlighted this in one of the last Yesterday Today segments, when going through the comments, an overwhelming majority of y'all felt like it was incredibly unfair that people were going after Selena for this. Now, although she hasn't been posting since then, she did add her name to the letter. And then actually just today, we also saw her rare beauty line announcing that it's donating to groups like the International Red Cross and Palestinian Red Crescent Society as well as UNICEF to give medical relief 
relief and other resources to the children of Gaza. And so with that, some happy with this move, but then others saying she only did that because of the backlash. But then others saying, regardless of the reason, Selena signing the letter for ceasefire is good no matter when she did it. I don't get the point of dragging this when we want this from all the celebs. It's the bare minimum. Right? And they're arguing that you can't be mad at a celebrity for doing the thing he yelled at them to do. Right? And with that, asking, are you actually looking for a change of behavior or just a thing to yell at? But of course, like with everything we talk about, I gotta ask, what are your thoughts here? And then, y'all, we gotta talk about this multi-million dollar international fraud scheme. Because that is what three executives of SafeMoon, a Utah-based cryptocurrency company, have been accused of in a recent indictment from federal prosecutors and a complaint from the SEC, but not that SEC roll tide. But seriously, what we've seen are federal prosecutors charging the three men, Chief Technology Officer Thomas Smith, Founder Kyle Nagy, and CEO John Caroni. For one, conspiring to commit securities fraud. Two, money laundering. And three, wire fraud. And according to the indictment, the three men lied to investors and cashed in on millions of dollars using money that they claimed was locked to pay for lavish vacations, sports cars, and real estate. And with all that, a Homeland Security investigator saying in a press conference, SafeMoon's executives grew their company value to over $8 billion, but instead of rewarding their clients as promised, their insatiable greed led them to spend millions of dollars on their own lavish desires. And along with that indictment, the SEC also filed their own complaint against the SafeMoon executives. And they're charging them with good old-fashioned fraud and selling unregistered crypto securities. And according to the complaint, the three executives told buyers that when they traded tokens, 10% would be withheld for a minimum of four years, and that money would be held in a locked liquidity pool, or LP, ensuring the long-term viability of the tokens. But the three executives allegedly pulled from that LP of locked funds to pay themselves almost immediately, with the complaint reading, Within two weeks of the SafeMoon token launch, Nagy had already redeemed LP tokens to transfer more than $500,000 worth of purportedly locked retained assets from the SafeMoon LP to the SafeMoon contract owner address under his control. And y'all doesn't end there, because the SEC also accuses Crony and Smith of using misappropriated assets to drive up the price of SafeMoon and manipulate the market when the value of SafeMoon fell. And notably, while right now Crony and Smith have been arrested, Nagy's actually still on the run. And with that, prosecutors have also deemed Crony a flat risk and asked that he be held without bail. But you have his lawyer claiming he is, quote, completely and totally innocent and absolutely looks forward to defending himself. Also, SafeMoon as a company has said on social media that they are, quote, reviewing the recent news and we, of course, take these issues extremely seriously. And went on to add, as we receive more information, we will do our best to address the situation as quickly as possible. Also, this news of their indictment has maybe brought no more joy to anyone than CoffeeZilla, who notably spent over two years investigating SafeMoon and has made a series of videos about their shady practices. And in his video following the indictment, he broke down the charges in his past coverage of SafeMoon, saying, I, I remember that they actually sent me something threatening me. They sent me this cease and desist. They were going to sue me. They were going to, they told me I was going to go to jail. Uh, that violation of the statute of causing them emotional distress is punishable by up to five years in prison. I still have that set aside, probably I'm gonna frame it, but I'm just struck by the irony that now uh, it looks like they're the ones who are gonna go to jail. But ultimately for now, that is where we are here. Obviously we have to wait to see if Nagy's arrest comes in. What do we see from these charges? And also, no, in advance, I do not know why I use this voice for this story. And then, as most of you already know, I found Seed's DSO-1 over a year ago, which has had a huge impact on my gut health this year. So thank you to the science team at Seed for developing this product and being a fantastic partner and sponsor of the show. Cause you know, Seed's DSO-1 is a two-in-one prebiotic and probiotic that combines 24 select bacterial strings and a new class of non-fermenting prebiotic compounds with clinical and scientific studies showing it to support benefits for gastrointestinal function, gut barrier integrity, cardiovascular health, and more. And believe me, I have felt the difference firsthand. You know, probiotics and prebiotics are a science. It is important that they're developed, manufactured, and vetted with scientific rigor and precision. And Seed is the only one I trust. And with the holidays upon us and all that yummy food that goes with it, it's a great time to start taking care of your gut microbiome. And fantastically, this month, Seed's offering you beautiful bastards 25% off your first month. You'll receive this 30-day supply, refillable glass jar, and a travel vial. And after that, they send sustainably 
packaged refills. So just go to seed.com slash DeFranco and use code DeFranco25 at checkout to get 25% off your first order of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic plus free shipping. And then, while the biggest and most important election of our lifetime, dot, 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 again, happens now in just less than a year. Yes, really, where does time go? Tomorrow, millions of voters across the country are actually heading to the polls to vote in numerous key off-season elections. And so with that, it felt really important to take a quick look at some of the races on the ballot that we and many others are going to be keeping an eye on. First up, arguably the most closely watched and one that we've talked about before a number of times on the show is a ballot initiative in Ohio that would codify abortion protections in the state constitution. Right, That initiative called Issue 1 would be massively significant for Ohio, which is why we've seen it attract a ton of money on both sides, drawing in more than $60 million according to reports. Where currently, Ohio bans abortions after 22 weeks, which is about the same as the standard Roe v. Wade established to prevent states from restricting abortions before a fetus could viably live outside the womb. But a huge key thing here is that a sweeping six-week ban that was passed by the state's legislature and signed by Ohio's Republican governor is currently making its way through the court system. And if we see voters strike down issue one, that ban could actually go into effect, which is also why we've seen Republicans pulling a ton of super shady moves to try and prevent this initiative from passing. Or as we've talked about in the past, just months after Republicans literally banned August special elections, the party held an August special election on a measure that would have made it harder to pass constitutional amendments by ballot initiative, with their goal being to raise the number of votes required to approve a constitutional amendment from 50% to a 60% supermajority. That measure, also confusingly named issue one, was widely considered a proxy vote for abortion rights. But luckily, people spread the word about the motives here, and the voters overwhelmingly rejected it by 57 to 43%. But notably, that was also just the tip of the iceberg for Republicans' deceptive tactics. Right? They've also launched a widespread misinformation campaign from the highest levels of government, including governmental websites. They even shoved disinformation and bias into the text of the ballot initiative, with the Republican Secretary of State amending the summary that voters read on top of the ballot to replace the word fetus with unborn child, as well as including the false claim that issue one would, quote, always allow an unborn child to be aborted at any stage of pregnancy, regardless of viability. And that same state official also purged 26,000 voters mere days before the deadline to register to vote on the initiative. And he also capitalized on the confusion over the two different Issue 1 initiatives, where people who supported abortion rights voted no on the first Issue 1 measure back in August. But for the second Issue 1, abortion rights supporters will vote yes. So you have pro-choice advocates who spent months telling people to vote no on Issue 1 are now telling them, oh God, vote yes on Issue 1, which is exactly why Republicans named both Issue 1. And also on that note, requiring people to vote yes to enshrine abortion rights is also itself a tactic. But I mean, abortion rights have won out in all six of the ballot measures put to voters since Roe was overturned. And that's including in deep red states. But according to places like the New York Times, the Ohio initiative is the toughest fight yet for abortion advocates and the outlet explaining. It is the first time that voters in a red state are being asked to affirmatively vote yes to a constitutional amendment establishing a right to abortion, rather than no to preserve the status quo established by courts. And noting that Ohio voters have historically tended to reject ballot amendments. And so with all of that, it's widely believed that the outcome of this election is going to reach far beyond Ohio, that among other things expected to shape strategies for 2024. But for Democrats, this vote will signal if abortion rights will have the same potential for mobilization that they did in the midterms as we head into 2024. And for Republicans, it'll help determine if the strategies they deployed in Ohio are effective in blocking efforts to expand abortion rights. But also, Ohio isn't the only key contest where abortion's on the ballot, at least indirectly. Another major state we'll be looking at tomorrow is Virginia, where all seats in the Republican-controlled House and the Democrat-controlled Senate are up for election. Right, both chambers have very slim majorities in any number of swing districts could determine the fate of each body. And that's a big deal, period, but especially because the state has a Republican governor, Glenn Youngkin, and the slim majority the Democrats currently hold in the Senate has prevented him from enacting some major elements of his conservative agenda, with those including a 15-week abortion ban. And so as a result, Youngkin has made abortion a centerpiece of these legislative elections, tying Republican success to his ability to implement that abortion ban, which again, is a strategy that is also being closely watched for its potential to shape the 2024 elections. Abortion is also at play in another gubernatorial election in Kentucky, where you have Democratic Governor Andy Bashir fighting against the anti-abortion agenda being enacted by both Chamber 
members of Republican-controlled legislature. For the Bashir, they're also running ads highlighting his Republican opponent's anti-abortion beliefs. Also, while abortion protections are obviously a very big voting issue, there's also a couple other races I want to mention that are not as deeply connected to it. For example, you have a lot of eyes on Mississippi, which could feasibly elect its first Democrat governor in two decades. With Brandon Presley, a former mayor and state utility regulator who also happens to be a cousin of Elvis Presley, running a shockingly strong campaign against the incumbent Republican and actually making that race competitive. Beyond that, there's also a very consequential election in Pennsylvania to fill a vacant seat on the state Supreme Court. Whoever wins that race will have a massively influential role to play in election-related cases in the 2024 presidential race. With Pennsylvania notably a key battleground state where Trump and his allies attempted to overturn the 2020 election, though that move was ultimately thwarted by this same court. And again, everything we talked about today is just a few of the contests that are going to be voted on tomorrow. So with that, I'm going to make sure to link to sources for you down below. Check if there is an election in your state and how you can vote. Because your voices matter, and even these off-season elections matter. They're incredibly consequential things that so many people do not take part in, so that means like your voice matters even more, especially on the hotly contested issues. And then, let's talk about yesterday, today, where we take a look back at the last show, we dive into those comments and see what you had to say about the news that we talked about. And there we had a lot of comments and a lot of conversation about misinformation being such a huge threat to abortion access and the, the whole lawsuit right now between Texas and Yelp. And there, y'all were sounding off saying things like, telling women that they aren't pregnant when they are, essentially in the hopes that they won't seek medical care until much later, too late to abort, absolutely disgusting and evil. Others saying it should be illegal or at least more strictly punished for people and companies to intentionally mislead the public on important decisions such as abortion, saying it's disgusting and reprehensible. Y'all also sharing things like, I had something similar happen to me in Florida, saying I went to a crisis pregnancy center when I was so poor that I couldn't afford the dollar store pregnancy test. And while I was waiting for the test to develop, the woman asked me what I wanted to do with the baby if I was, and I said I wasn't sure, that I wasn't in a good place, and she started praying over me, gave me a ton of anti-abortion pamphlets, and made me feel like the worst person ever for not being excited at the thought of pregnancy. The test came back positive and then she tried to tell me it was negative and hide it from me. They took it out of the room and wouldn't let me have it. And then later claiming to top it all off, they called me six months later to ask me how the pregnancy was going. When I freaked out and told them that there was no pregnancy, they hollered back at me about how I was going to hell. It was one of the most grating experiences in my life. Some of you also noting, you know, while we're seeing an increase in this, and of course we live in a post-war world, that this is not a new thing. Saying this health center took over my doctor's office location. I had no idea they had moved. This was long before places thought to email news like that. And saying, when the number stopped working, I just went into the location. They didn't even change the sign out front. And when I went in to make my appointment, they made it seem like they were just rebranding the office. And going on to say, when I went for my shot appointment, they made me sit in a room and gave me a ton of religious pamphlets to read. Then sent in a woman to interrogate me on why I wanted to, quote, fill my body with poison that would most likely leave me barren. Regarding Ken Paxton, Texas, and Yelp, so I'm guessing he's just enough of a hypocrite to project about misleading the public and abuse of authority. And that is where your daily dive into the news is going to end today. That said, for more news you need to know, of course, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap to watch watch, or I got links in the description. And of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you right back here tomorrow for more news.